Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, brothers and sisters from LifeGate, it's so good to have you guys here. I hope that you guys are as blessed by us as we are by your presence today. And if you're part of the Kanoi Church, then you know that this series we've been in has been going through our denominational core values. We've been looking at uh, each one at a time. They start out here and they migrate onto the wall in the lobby so we can see them going forward. And we are halfway through. We're on number five. Now, oddly enough, today's core value is belonging to the community of faith, which, when we planned the series, we had no idea that this core value would fall on the day that we had a combined service. But it seems like God was doing some work. And so when Don and I talked, I said, what do you think about this theme of belonging to the community of faith? I love it. Yeah, I'll I'll speak on that too. Great. So you're in for a little bit of a treat. I'm going to be short today, and then Don's going to come up, and he's going to finish our sermon now. You're going to hear from both of us about this idea of belonging to the community of faith. And, And the subtext that you probably can't read from your seat says, we value integrity in relationships and mutual accountability in an atmosphere of grace, love, and acceptance. Community. It's a word that we hear a lot. My son is four, and uh, right now, this last month or so, he has been using a word a lot, and the word he's been using a lot is similar. He just seems to be set on using similar. So we went for a hike in the woods, and I was showing him what a deer print looks like, and he was down there with me at the mud, and he looked at me and said, I think it's similar. (laughs) To what, right? Okay. So we, we go home, and another time he said, Daddy, I want to watch monster trucks. They're similar. Similar to what? Yesterday, he and I were together, and he looked at these two toys, two balls, and he says, Daddy, they're similar. Finally, he got it right. Right? Finally used it correctly. Community is a lot like that. Sometimes we're a lot like children. We're trying really hard to use a word that we don't always get. Sometimes we get it right. My prayer is that this morning we get it right. Now, in the first week of this series, we said that the foundation of this house is built on grace and love. Grace and love is our first core value, and we said the foundation of this house is built on grace and love. We have grace and love for others because grace and love was given to us. We saw it first from Jesus, and when Jesus spreads his arms wide on the cross, we know how much love and how much grace has been given unto us. Last week, Pastor John shared about the idea of following Jesus, and he said that When we follow Jesus, we have to submit our whole lives. Our whole lives are changed. There's not a little side part of our life that we keep off in the corner that we don't give to Jesus. When we follow Jesus, our whole lives are subject to change. Now, even though we're changed, you and I can look back on our lives 
and remember what it was like before we knew Jesus. When we do that, there are two things that happen. The first one is that we recognize just how far Jesus has brought us, and we celebrate. And the other thing is, we remember just how much love and grace was given to a broken person like me. And when we remember how much was given to us, we remember that we are called to give it to others. The foundation of this house is built on grace and love. And not just this house, but every house of God. And not just this sanctuary, but every sanctuary. And it can't just be in words that we say. We can't just come on a Sunday morning and say we're all about grace and love, and then when we leave, we're not. We can't say we're all about grace and love, but when we talk to one another, we spit fire and poison. When we say we're about grace and love, it needs to come through clearly in our actions. It needs to come through clearly in our hearts. And when somebody enters that door, it should be clear that we are a people about grace and love. Because this is church. Right? Well, this is a building. This is church. This is a structure. This is community. The Greek word, when we talk about church, is ecclesia, or ecclesia. When Jesus looks at Peter, and he says, I call you Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, he uses the word ecclesia. This isn't a word he makes up. Jesus doesn't just suddenly decide to be Webster's Dictionary and make something up. This is a word that's already in use. It's a word that means fellowship. It's a gathering of some kind. It's always people gathered together. Sometimes it even is used to describe men who sit, out the city, sit outside the city gates and pray and have good conversation with one another, arguing points back and forth. That sounds a little like church, doesn't it? But it's always a gathering. I name you Peter, and upon this rock I will build my gathering. You know, if Peter stood with us today and we told him that we were going to go to church, he'd be a little confused because church isn't a place. And I'm sure you've heard that before. It's not new information, but it's a good reminder that we each need to hear on a regular basis. Church isn't a place. It's a people. It's not where we gather. It is the people who are gathered. Church is God's people gathered together to be in the same space. Now, when we say we value the idea of belonging to a community of faith, we're talking about being an active part of this gathering, an active part of the church. But we each struggle with that. And I know we struggle with it, even if we don't always talk about it, because in this, the story of God's people, we see a pattern of God's people struggling with community. We see a pattern of God's people often wanting to go their own way and do their own thing in their own power. In Genesis 3, if you want to go with me, you can. I'm not going to, you can go with me to Genesis 3. If you have your Bible, your Bible app, go ahead and get it out. I'll have a couple of scriptures on the screen, but I'm going to jump around a little bit. 
Genesis 3. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He uses his very word to speak things into existence. He speaks all living things into existence. Creates a world. He creates mankind. And he, God, is at one with mankind. And it seems like mankind is at one with the world. God gives mankind the world. He says, here, fill the earth and subdue it. Care for it. God gave Adam and Eve a single prohibition. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will surely die. And we could say it this way. If you don't heed God's word, the consequence is death. But it doesn't take long. The very idea, the very prospect of being like God, I mean, that is the entire temptation of the serpent. Did God really tell you not to eat that fruit? Oh, that's because he knows that if you eat like it, you'll be just like him. God carefully crafted the world. He gave it to man. He gave man and woman to one another. He created a community in this garden for them. And it's though man looked at that and said, this community, this thing you've given me, this creation you've given me, it's not good enough. I want something more. This idea that maybe I could be on the same level as God. Maybe I could be in control. Well, I want that. So man sins. Man takes the apple. And what's the first thing that happens when God comes to confront man and woman? The first thing that happens is they blame each other. We see a people divided immediately. And our relationship with one another, community from that point forward, it seems strained. It seems imperfect. It seems as though we value our desire for control first. Because when we put our will before God's call, we tear down community. When we put our will before God's call, we tear down community every single time. When God calls you to love one another, but instead you choose to gossip, when God calls you to encourage one another, but instead you choose to point out flaws. When God calls you to greet one another with a holy kiss, but you ignore or disdain or pretend like you don't see, you tear down community 100% of the time. You can jump with me to Genesis 32 if you want. In Genesis 32, we're looking at a story about a man named Jacob. Jacob has an interesting past. He's the younger son of a man named Isaac. And being the younger son doesn't afford you the firstborn, firstborn blessing. You only get the firstborn blessing if you're the firstborn son. So being born second is like being born last. And so Jacob with the help of his mother, tricks his aging father into stealing the firstborn blessing from his older brother. Boy, that's a whole lot of family right there, isn't it? 
Jacob, with the help of his mother, tricks his aging father to steal the firstborn blessing from his older brother. And his older brother, Esau, boy, couldn't be more upset. In fact, Esau says, as soon as our father is dead, I am going to kill you. And so Jacob flees. Jacob has an uncle, and he flees to his uncle's house, out of the land, away from his brother, away from his mother. And there's a whole lot that happens when Jacob is at Uncle Laban's house. So we're not going to get into a lot of the details, but, but Jacob gets married, and he gets deceived, and then he gets married again, and then he becomes rich. He gets lots of assets, lots of stuff. He gets lots of livestock and servants, and lots of children. For all intents and purposes, Jacob is doing pretty well for himself. And that's when he hears God call. Jacob, I want you to go home. You remember home, right? Where he has a big brother who's waiting to kill him now that his father's dead? Sure, God, I'll go. So Jacob gathers everyone, and they begin to make this journey home, this journey back to his brother Esau. And the closer that he gets, the more nervous he gets. The closer he gets to Esau, the more scared he gets. In Genesis 32.10, Jacob says, When I left home, I had nothing more than a walking stick, and now my household fills two camps. Jacob recognizes all that God has blessed him with, the way that God has laid his hand of protection on him, all that God has given him, and Jacob is concerned that he's not even close to worthy of all that God has given him. Now watch, the closer he gets to Esau, the more scared he gets, he begins to dismantle his community. He gets to a place and he takes his whole household and he divides them into two camps. It's such a big deal that Jacob names this place two camps. So now we've divided his household. He gets a little closer to Esau. He gets a little bit more nervous. He sends servants on ahead to make contact. Oh, Esau's got an army. Oh, I'm even more scared. Well, let's give him lots of my stuff, all this stuff that I've been given. We're going to give that to him. So we send sheep and goats and livestock and bulls and camels and cows. We send more servants. We send more messengers. And finally, Jacob comes to this place called the Jabbok River. And it's here that he decides to take his wife, wives, children, and send them across the river. Now Jacob is all alone. Now Jacob has completely given into fear. Fear of his brother, fear of his lack of worth. And he has no community. He's by himself. And the angel of the Lord comes that night. And they have a great wrestling match, a match that lasts all night. And even when Jacob's hip is knocked from his socket, he still will not let go of this angel of the Lord. And the angel looks at him and says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. No, 
No longer is your name Jacob. Your name is now Israel, for you have struggled with both God and men and won. Now, now Jacob can cross the river. Now he has left behind all of these feelings. He has fought it out. He has wrestled it out. All of the anxiety, all of the fear. I'm not worth it. He's going to hate me. My family doesn't love me. It's all been worked out, and he can cross the river. And what do we find when he crosses the river? We find his servants and his livestock and his family, and yes, even a brother who is peaceful and accepts him once again. You see, when we give in to fear, when we let fear control us, we isolate ourselves from our community. And so much of the time, we live in fear. This world has set us up to live in fear. It tells us all that we should worry about, all that we don't have, all the ways that we are not worthy of all that we've been given and how much more we need. And so we live in fear and we live in anxiety. And we distance ourselves from those who actually care, from those who actually would give us support. We let the fear control us. And rather than submitting the fear to the feet of Jesus, it controls us and we isolate ourselves and we push everyone away. We systematically dismantle our community. My friends, community is a gift. God gives us community for a reason. He gives us one another for a reason. We gather together for a reason, not because your parents made you, not because you think this is somehow what's going to get you salvation. We gather together because God has called us to one another. We gather together to build one another up. We gather together to encourage one another. When the whole body gathers together, the whole body can celebrate, or the whole body can mourn, but we do it together because we've been given one another. And when we let fear control us, we isolate ourselves. Let me give you one last story of community, of blessing, and of healing. And this one you have to jump over to Acts chapter 9 for. In Acts chapter 9, we find a man named Saul. You may know Saul by another name. Most often we call him Paul. He's a man who is responsible for writing most of the New Testament. But like all of us, Paul has a past. He's got a history. He wasn't always Paul. At one point he was Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a religious teacher of the day, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated under Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was like the best religious teacher of the day. It'd be like going to Harvard or Yale, or you name the school that you think is the best school out there. This is the sort of education that Paul gets. Saul, Saul gets. Now Saul, being a Jewish teacher, he hears about this new movement that's happening. It's called The Way, Followers of The Way. And they seem to follow this Jewish rabbi named Jesus. And these people are claiming that though he was crucified as a criminal, he wasn't a criminal, he was innocent. And he somehow was raised from the dead. You've got to be kidding me, this is ridiculous. And all these followers of this guy named Jesus are going to ruin the Jewish faith. And so 
Saul, being a zealot, being incredibly passionate, he goes to the religious authority over him and says, I want you to give me permission to go to a place called Damascus, where we hear that there are a lot of these Jesus followers. Give me all the papers I need so that when I get there, I can arrest all of them. I will arrest them. I will put them in chains. I will bring them back to Jerusalem and put them on trial, and I will parade them in front of everyone. And if there's anybody in Jerusalem who's a follower of Jesus, they're going to be frightened. So Saul gets his permission. He gets his papers. He gathers to him a bunch of men with like mind and like heart. Essentially, Saul has gathered a community that has been gathered on anger and fear and hatred. Today, we might call it a lynch mob. Quite honestly, that's what it was. And their goal was to hunt down every Christian they could find. And you know what? Even if your posse is supposed to bring back that criminal, you know, bad things happen to criminals sometimes. Because we know that Paul was a person who hunted down Christians. We know that Paul stood off to the side and watched Stephen be stoned. And Paul stood to the side and approved. So Paul's not afraid of spilling some blood. He's going to hunt these men and women down with his community of anger and hatred and fear. And it's on the road to Damascus that Saul encounters a bright light. A bright light like fire that shines down from heaven so bright that it knocks him off his donkey. He falls to the ground and he begins to hear a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Who are you? Saul, I'm Jesus, and I am the one you have been persecuting. And Saul finds himself blinded by this light. It's the same light that is the light of the world. It's the same light that says, let your light shine before men. It's the same light that shines into the darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. It is the same light that blinds him. And what does his community do? His community, his lynch mob, his posse, his community bent on hatred and anger. They take him to a nearby house and they leave him there. Now Paul is alone. You and I have all been alone before. You can imagine being alone in your house or your apartment, but now be blind. How alone do you feel with no one around and your sight taken away. I imagine Paul frightened Saul, maybe for the first time. And what does Acts tell us? Saul is in a room praying to God alone. And Jesus calls out to a faithful disciple named Ananias. He says, I want you to go to Saul. I want you to lay your hands on him and heal him. And Ananias says, are you kidding me, Saul? Have you heard who Saul is? Like, I know who Saul is. He's arresting people and killing people. Jesus, do you know who Saul is? And Jesus says, I know, trust me. Saul is my chosen instrument. He's gonna go to the Gentiles and take my message to them. He'll take my message to their kings. He's my chosen instrument. Ananias, go to Saul, lay your hands on him and heal him. And so, Saul, sitting in a room by himself, praying to God, completely dark, no sight. Suddenly there's a hand on his shoulder. 
and a voice that says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom you met in the light, has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Brother Saul, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Saul, who was a murderer and a zealot. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me to you that you may be healed. And what does scripture tell us? In every translation, immediately, instantly, Saul regains his sight. And what's the next sentence? He gets up and is baptized. You see, community changes our lives. It's like God looked down at Saul and said, I see the community you've surrounded yourself with. It is community full of poison. It's community full of hatred and anger and violence. And that is not community that honors me. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes, including knocking you down and blinding you, taking away your vision so that you know that that community is not the community that I want. I will clear your slate. That community is gone, and I am going to give you new community. And he brings Ananias. And Saul regains his sight and lives in Damascus among the Christians for days, preaching the gospel. And they look at Saul and they say, can this even be the same guy? Because his life is so radically altered. Saul, who goes on to become Paul, to preach the gospel, to plant churches, and to write most of the New Testament, community changes our lives. God uses his light to move us from unhealthy community to healthy community. So what are you going to choose today? Are you going to choose to follow your own way? Are you going to choose to put your will above God's call? Will you allow fear to isolate you and drive away your community? Or are you going to allow God to bless you with brothers and sisters in Christ who want to love one another? Will you allow your life to be changed by community? And I know it can be scary to let other people in. I know it's not easy. But maybe that's what God's calling you to. Maybe that's why it's a core value. Maybe that's why we are called to one another in so many places in scriptures. Brothers and sisters, I promise you this morning, you were created and you were called to community. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Amen. Amen. I, I'm not going to take long to follow that one up because you already got the sermon. How many of you got that? Wasn't that powerful? And, and Nick actually used this, this phrase. So we're talking about belonging to community. How uh, when I prayed with him earlier this week, and he didn't even use the phrase exactly this way right now, but I'm going to use what he told me, is that you are always bent towards separating from community, and God's always inbreaking into your life to bring you back into community. Do you understand that? That's mankind. That's you as an individual. It's almost like the centrifugal force of life 
pulls you away from community so that you can go into your own little cave and lick your wounds and be uh, poor, poor me. And God is always reaching out and bringing you back into community. Isn't that powerful? And, and he is so powerful and he's so strong that even how far away you go, he can draw you back. He has the power. He, it's, it's, uh, it, it's like the, uh, the gravitational pull of God and the drawing power of Jesus is so strong that you, you cannot go far enough from him where he cannot draw you back. Is that encouraging? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give like two verses to, to summarize and finish this. And, 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 and it comes back to the cross. And I know that uh, we, we, we sung about the cross already this morning. And, and people that are sitting in this room, like, I, I know what the cross is, Don. It's not really going to be anything new. Uh, we're talking about the cross. And you know Jesus isn't on the cross anymore, right? He's not on the cross. Where's Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's, he's omnipresent, so we know that he actually can greet people who show up in heaven, and he's still seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that, right? In other words, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but he can come down here and reveal himself to a Muslim in Saudi Arabia, right? You guys know that. So Jesus is big, and, and he does community well. And, and so uh, we're going to turn to uh, Isaiah 22, 22. And, and it's right there where, where the scripture tells us how the Father made Jesus the center of community and how important he is. And it's a picture, to some degree, this, this verse is a picture of the cross. But Jesus is beyond the cross. But we, you know, when we, when we go down to uh, the World War II Memorial in Washington or the Washington Monument, George Washington isn't there anymore. But it's a picture of us remembering George Washington. Jesus is not at the cross anymore, but the cross is a picture of a permanent moment in history where God established community again. We were separated from him, and he says, I'm, I'm drawing you near. And it says, I will place on his shoulder, Jesus, the key of the house of David, and what he opens, no one can shut. So when Jesus opens salvation to you, nobody can shut that. Nobody can turn off the gravitational pull of Jesus through the cross. Uh, but when he shuts a door, nobody's going op- to be able to open it. So at the end of eternity, at the end of your life, if you do not go through the open door, he's going to shut a door that will not be able to be opened. But this is what I want to go on to. He says, I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. And the very next verse, uh, verse 24 says, and he will have a seat of honor in the house of his father, and all the glory of his family, his community, will hang on him. All of the glory of his community or family will hang on Jesus. And this is the most, uh, this is the part that, that I'm going to actually call later for you to respond to. If we do not hang on Jesus, if you don't come to a point in your life where you make Jesus the center peg of your life, you are going to always struggle with community and you may never enter into the eternal community that's with the saints forever. I'm really stirred lately because there's a lot of stories where this big central figure in Hillsong or over here, Joshua Harris, and all of a sudden they go, I'm not following Jesus anymore. There's too many unanswered questions. I don't believe in hell and, and, and I, I've had too many problems in my life and I've seen Christians be hypocrites. I'm done following Jesus. Let me tell you, When you make Jesus the center of your life, it never changes. I don't know what happened to them. 
But when you make Jesus, when you, when you and I don't, have, I don't have like a huge tent peg here where I can drive it right through this floor, but where you make Jesus like the center of your life and you say, I hang on you. As you bring me into community, I will never let go of you. Now, I may fall, because it says the righteous man may fall, but it says that the Lord lifts him up. Do you know that? The righteous may fall seven times. The Lord restores him. I may fall away from the cross. I may turn and fall, but that tent peg is still in my life. I know where to go. Someone who says, I don't need Jesus anymore, scares me, really scares me. Our second verse is this. So that's the first verse. Upon him, everything hangs. The whole community hangs upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12 for the second one. But before I read that, because this speaks of it, Hebrews 12 actually speaks of what I'm about to say. And Nick, this did not really hit me until we're doing this sermon together. Do you, do you guys realize that Jesus Christ became the most alone person in the universe ever to bring you into community. His disciples abandoned him. Judas betrayed him. Everybody fell asleep. He gets crucified on the cross, and his father forsakes him. He is all alone to do what? To bring you into community. The powerful, I know that we have college students in here, juxtaposition the powerful contrast of Jesus is he did something all alone so that you can come and be all together with him for eternity and together here. And I know a lot of us go, wow, praise the Lord, I'm going to be with Jesus for eternity. I want to be there, but I don't like the church. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You know, I can't wait to get to heaven, but I don't like the church. He went to the cross so we can be community here. Here, not just, in, not just in heaven in eternity. He died so we can enjoy one another here. And so the Lord's going to have to purify us of those attitudes where we're like, well, praise the Lord, we have a good pastor and worship team here at Kanoi, but you know, those other guys, they'll just have to get along. I mean, they're just, you know, we need to pray that God blesses every church in this land, that they, that they will grow in the word, they will grow in community, and they will live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so Hebrews 12 says this, Remember, Jesus died all alone to bring you into community. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then the next verse says, let us fix our eyes, amen, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one upon whom everything hangs. Why? Because he, he even despised that moment of loneliness because he knew he was bringing you into community with himself. And he was raising up this whole family that was going to live radically for him on the earth and be forever with him in eternity. And so there's a different angle that I want to take this morning as I close here with Hebrews 12. Because the moment I say, hey, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, most people think of David and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. Ah, praise the Lord. Because that, that's Hebrews 11. That's the previous chapter. And you're like, yeah, they're the cloud of witnesses that went before us. You know, in this room right now, there's a cloud of witnesses. You are in this room and many have experienced things that would take them from the cross. Many people have experienced things where they've looked at Jesus and they said, are you with me still? 
Many of you have had terrible trials, challenges, temptations. And I'm actually going to acknowledge some of those here in our midst. And to me, the reason community is so important is when I'm hit in the solar plexus by something I can't figure out, my marriage is in trouble, my a dear sibling is dying of cancer or whatever, and the enemy goes, see, God is not real. He doesn't love you. I go, no, 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 no. I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. I'm surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And you know there's times this tent peg shakes. There's times the cross shakes. It doesn't shake in eternity, but in our life we're like, oh, I don't know if, this, I, don't know if I can get through this. But it doesn't move, and we can come back to him. Amen? Come on. And so if some big shot wakes up one day and says, I'm not following Jesus and I'm so happy, I'm not happy for him. And I don't know what he did with the cross and I don't know what he's going to hang on to, but I'm hanging on to Jesus. I'm not leaving him. And if I fall, I know where to go. Right back to the cross. Amen? And so in our midst here, I'm just going to call out names. I'm not, this, is, this is the call out names let people stay on Sunday, right? So we're not embarrassing anybody. Uh, so Nick and Carissa, if you guys are still here. I don't know if Carissa, are you here? Well, Nick, come on up to the cross. Nick and Carissa would have a great excuse to be angry at God. Because in their journey, they lost two precious children that they believed God could heal. And and in the, the, the sovereign, eternal mind of God, that didn't happen. But Nick and Carissa are hanging on to the cross still. They're part of the cloud of witnesses. Come on up, E. Daniel and Ruth. E. Daniel and Ruth, were, and I'm going to tell you why they're a cloud of witnesses. They're a cloud of witnesses because in their journey... They knew that they wanted to stand for the truth, they wanted to go for the kingdom, and they didn't want to compromise and get caught into making this generation happy by just giving in to the status quo about homosexuality. And I'm telling you that first straight up. And so they had a hard decision to make in their journey. At one point they said, we're going to leave the denomination of our childhood and we're going to just step into the unknown. We're not cursing anybody. We're not vilifying anybody. But we have to go into the unknown to continue to pursue the kingdom. And they held on to the cross. And E. Daniel and Ruth have been a force to be reckoned with in this region in humility. But they continue to preach, continue to share the truth. Amen? Sonia Nareb, come on up to the cross. Sonia Nareb, they, they lost a child in the last uh, year and a half, and they do not let go of the cross because of that trial. Amen? Uh, and I could call many others. I'm going to call my wife up because, come on up, Nat. Here, here's why I call my wife up. She's had to live 30-some years with a wild-eyed, crazy man called Don Lamb. And some of you... And, and, and the reason I say that is because sometimes the promises of God to some of you sitting here are not fulfilled and people around you say Jesus isn't going to come through. And my wife has not left the cross even though we've claimed a revival in this region for over 35 years. And she knows God is going to do it, but she has to live with me while that unfolds. And that can be difficult. Amen? So, 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 so Doug and Faith, come on up. Doug and Faith, and, and here's who they represent, not only themselves. Come on up. Doug and Faith represent all the leadership in, in, in E-Town and this region who continue to try to build unity and to co-labor together when it gets messy. And, and, and Nick knows this. All of us know this. Community is messy. It isn't easy. And so when you try to bring different churches and denominations together, Doug, Doug and, and Al Frank was part of that, Fred Garber, Nelson Bechtel, many other leaders in this region are part of that. It gets messy. You're like, well, we're not getting together because uh, this guy doesn't do this and this guy doesn't do that. And we, No, no, no. 
we die to ourselves and we say the cross. We, you heard this said a thousand times because I've been here when Al Frank preached this and Nick's going to preach the same thing. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen. That means that there's no denomination, there's no person that's going to get ahead of anybody else. And all these that you just see is just part of the cloud of witnesses. I call every one of you up here. Some of you have fought through hard marriages. Some of you have fought through sickness. Some of you have fought through depression, but you have not let go of the cross. And upon him hangs everything, Jesus. And he is the author and the perfecter of our faith to bring us into community. So let's say this one more time. Belonging to the community of faith, that's our calling. Belonging to the community of faith purchased by the blood of the lamb. Amen. I want to just end with this. Uh, our dear sister in the back, Gail Viscom, comes up with really cool phrases because she kind of eats, sleeps, and drinks community. And she has this real cool phrase. So the worship team can come up. Listen to this phrase. This is something that happens when you live in your realm of fixing community. She says, we really struggle with... Uh, neighborhood detachment, neighborhood detachment. We, we really struggle with the fact that people don't get attached to their neighborhoods. It's, it's a problem. People are, flow in and out of a community and nobody gets attached. They don't even know each other. So, so, so we struggle with, you guys weren't supposed to leave. They weren't, the cloud of witnesses disappeared. <laughs> we struggle with something greater than neighborhood detachment. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to change this in Kenoi, at LifeGate, and all the churches in this region. We struggle with church detachment. We, we are detached from knowing how radically powerful we are together than apart and what God wants to do with us together. You know, you can sit, amen, you can sit home and watch television and watch a church service, and I'm going to tell you, you'll get truth, but that's not community. I don't care what you say. You could come up and argue with me at the end of the day. But you don't have to be kind to a TV. You don't have to be patient with a TV preacher. You don't, you don't, you don't have to get along with anybody in the room. You just watch that screen. When you come here, you got to do everything Nick challenged us about. You got to die to you got to die to self. You got to greet the person who's grumpy. You got to worship beside someone who's loud. Whatever, okay? It's part of the kingdom of God. So let's stand together. And I, I want us to put this together in our spirit again. Because this is amazing. Next week, Kanoi is going to take communion. And I actually tried to figure out a way if we could take it today, but we weren't able to. But that's all right. Next Sunday is Communion Sunday. And Paul used this term. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and the bread. On the night he was betrayed. Listen, Jesus died betrayed and all alone so that you could become accepted, changed, and part of community. And that's the power of the church. The church goes out on the streets and the highways and the byways and say, I will allow God to live through me so you can be part of the community. And let me tell you, the world around you, you know this, guys, is trying to make safe spaces. There's only one safe space, and that's with Jesus at the foot of the cross. There's no, you can't create a safe space without Jesus. You could do it all you want. And so my, my final cry is this, as we're not gonna be able to have the whole entire congregation do this, but we're gonna, we're gonna get radical here. So we're gonna do something unusual. E. Daniel, come on up here. We're gonna put the cross right here in the middle of the room. 
and I want you to stretch out your hand towards the finished work of Jesus. Not that we're, we're not worshiping, we don't worship the cross. Jesus has ascended, but we're stretching out and we're saying, we are going to drive the peg of the finished work of Jesus deeper in our life this morning to be community. We're not going to let go of the finished work of Christ. We're not going to let go of Jesus. And we're declaring that as faith, knowing that if we do, we can be restored because we know where the cross is. You know, if you, if you have GPS in your, and it works, and you say home, it always takes you home. The cross is that red dot called home. And when you hit the button, you know, when you're all freaked out, you had a bad day, you sinned, you might have cussed somebody out, whatever, I don't care. And you hit the GPS and you say, Jesus, you're still the center tent peg of my life. I'm coming home. The Father will lead you to the cross. And so I'm going to have E. Daniel pray a prayer over us to just say, Lord, we are very serious about being community. And we're going to have to keep Jesus the center of our life and the center of our churches to do that. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.